Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. In this episode, I talk with Paul Everett about some of the beginning years of Python. Paul gives a talk called Python 1994, and at the beginning of it, he says, many talks are very informative. This talk, not so much. But Paul is being humble. Talking about Python's beginnings is also talking about the Python community beginnings. Also, it's Python. We like introspection. Thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. It's a couple of years ago that we we did a Google Hangout and you helped me with uh, PyCharm. Yeah, I've got almost this visual image of you. I think you were sitting at like an outdoor cafe or something. Yeah, I was at um, the out, at uh, Starbucks sitting outside. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, uh, I'm glad we did that. Well, it's been for me. It for me the lead into that was your book. Yeah, well, the, and you were a uh, like a good supporter from the beginning. Uh, as soon as it came out, I think yeah. you were the first person to buy it as All an right, ebook. Um, well, I I have no way to know that, but um, it sounds good on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So how did um how did that happen? Um how did you find out about the book? Um we all talk about imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Uh, and you did a podcast I think that went into that uh sometime past couple months. And here I am, I'm supposed to be developer advocate for PyCharm. Yeah. Somebody who knows a damn thing or two. <laughs> and every day I wake up and realize I know 1% of the product that I'm supposed to be an expert on. And during the day, it will change 2%. And it feels all rather hopeless. Uh, and then on the Python side, you know, I, I made my racket over the decades by a mantra of don't be smart, hire smart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that BS only lasts a while, man. <laughs> it, at some point, people figure out that there's nothing nothing going on upstairs. Uh. And one of the biggest things was testing. I just viewed testing as higher testing, not do testing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and being involved with some big things over the years, Zope and Pyramid and customer projects and stuff like that, you just can't run that far from testing. And I got involved in some things that really I needed to convince myself that uh, I was behaving like an adult and needed to get into testing and and on the projects we had done in Pyramid forever and ever, we were nose people. And I kind of had this lingering realization that I needed to jump on the pie test train. And at that moment was the moment when you were getting all bookifying. Okay. And uh, I jumped on the book. And the book was gave me a similar experience to my experience picking up Python itself in 1992. Okay. Um, I remember going to a bookstore and saying, all right, I, I need something for what was, this was just before CGI was a common gateway interface. It was kind of manually done. And I pick up a pro book and I read through like 10 pages and say, hell no. <laughs> and then get the Python tutorial downloaded and printed and, it was hell yes. The tutorial was the reason I adopted Python. And your book was the reason I really embraced PyTest. It was like written 
genetically engineered to fit my feeble brain. So well done. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, so I, I need to, um, let's, uh, I guess back up a little bit. I know who you are, uh, but some people might not. So, uh, are you the developer advocate or a developer advocate at, for, uh, I'm a JetBrains developer advocate primarily for PyCharm. We're encouraged to cross train and be able to represent other things. Um, some most of the developer advocates are good at that. Me, eh. you know, it's kind of hard for a Python guy to you know go talk about typed languages and stuff like that and compiled languages. Um, but uh, I cover you know ninety five percent of my time is PyCharm and the other parts are uh, WebStorm. Okay, well, WebStorm is something I kind of want to know more about eventually. What is WebStorm? All of our IDEs are built atop the same IDE platform called IntelliJ IDEA. It's a Java platform for writing IDEs. Uh, so that's why um, one of the reasons PyCharm is able to do so much with a not-so-huge staff is we inherit 90 to 95% from the platform. Okay. Uh, VCS, for example, is the same across all the IDEs. So there's an IDE for web development called WebStorm. It's fantastic. The great team um, working on it. Doing all the janitorial work that hurts my brain trying to keep up with the world of JavaScript. Uh, and so it is very similar, but if you have PyCharm Professional, we bundle WebStorm and DataGrip, our IDE for SQL. Okay. So you already have WebStorm. Okay. I'll just have to... So it's something I can use. It's used for the JavaScript side of an, a web application. Mm -hmm. Okay. What you should do is go find that developer advocate guy for PyCharm and slap him in the face and say, why don't you go do a webinar for the WebStorm side? And I will happily go do that. <laughs> okay. So, but you, you said you started in 92, but let's, uh, can we do a, is there a fast version of um, how you got to be where you are now? Uh, there's, there is a fast version. Or maybe. At our next conference, I'll give you the extended version. It's hilarious. Um, 1985, Top Gun comes out. Five years later, because the Navy doesn't know how to do planning, there are a trillion people in flight school. And I'm sitting around Pensacola, Florida, getting paid to go shark fishing. I'm not kidding. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but then, because of the long wait, my eyes went just over the limit, had to find another job. And in Pensacola, there was the Navy Internet Manager. Huh. This was in 91. Okay. Uh, great guy, Jim Glenn. Um, radical impact on the rest of my life. And one of the things we had to do was go find things to do with this Internet thing. And we were doing DNS and mail. Um and then there was this big battle about whether Gopher, Gopher Plus, or whatever was going to be the next big thing. So somewhere around 1992, I, I remember leaning back in my cubicle, looking around the wall, and the guy next to me ran the, uh, the domain Navy.mil. And I said, hey, Mike, can I have www.navy.mil? And he said, what's that? Um, so I, I got involved with the web pretty early Um we were responsible for trying to get other Navy activities to put up a website. Pro tip, the number one way to get a Navy site on the web was to put a picture of the commanding officer on the homepage. <laughs> Worked every time. Um, 
And so maybe not www.eve.mil was, I, I believe, one of the first 200 public websites back in those days when you wanted to be listed on the web, you sent an email to Tim Berners-Lee and got listed on the CERN page of websites. <laughs> wow. How about that? That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could print. There was a book that printed the web, uh-huh. Yellow Pages book for the web. Oh, okay. So then you're, you're, uh, you're, how long were you doing that, the Navy website? I was a Navy officer for four years, did that for two years, um, and then got a contract job. What do you think it was for? Running www.navy.mil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That was around the time you were doing, you switched over to looking at Python then. That yeah, was, yeah. that's a long time ago, 92. Yeah, uh, we needed a, a the equivalent of CGI for what we were doing. I wasn't going to write anything in C. wasn't going to do it in Bash. wasn't going to do it in Perl. So Python became my dynamic stuff for uh, the CERN HTTP server and then the NCSA HTTP server. See, I didn't even know you could do that because I let's see the the early mid nineties. Um, mm-hmm. I was in college. I graduated. I got my master's in ninety six. So, um, I was doing, I was working for the business department, uh, doing, uh, some of their internal websites using, uh, CGI, but it was all Perl. Um, I didn't Mm -hmm. even, I didn't even know about Python at the time. Yeah. So that was, um, I guess the killer app for Perl. Yeah. Uh, It had a pretty strong history in text processing in general. Uh, but in the first few years of, the Python community, you know, starting around 1994, um, we were all chasing Perl on the website. In fact, at the first workshop uh, in 1994 was when the CGI module with Michael McLay got off the ground. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the preferred cloud platform of hundreds of thousands of innovative companies. DigitalOcean makes it easy to deploy, manage, and scale applications with an intuitive control panel and API designed for developers. Get started with a free $100 credit towards your first project on DigitalOcean and experience everything the platform has to offer, such as cloud firewalls, real-time monitoring and alerts, global data centers, object storage, and the best support anywhere. Join the over 150,000 businesses already creating amazing things on DigitalOcean. Claim your credit today at do.co slash testing code. What are we going to talk about today? We were going to do Python 1994 stroll down memory lane because uh, I give some talks um, recently about what Python was like in 1994 and what might have been a reason that it grew such a hospitable commu- community and then a decade later, went uh, meteoric on growth. We we're also going to talk about how the world of Python testing might compare to the world of JavaScript testing. All right. So, Paul, tell me about 1994. In giving these talks recently, it kind of started with an idea of doing a keynote panel at two PyCons ago, where Guido, Barry, Jim, Robin Friedrich, and then I moderated it because we were all at this workshop We wanted to kind of talk about what Python was like then. And the then we're talking about is there was a 
workshop in November 1994 in a nameless, faceless government office building in Gaithersburg, Maryland at NIST, where 20 people showed up. And I remember when we were doing the talking for this, Michael McLeay, who hosted it, said, okay, I've got a conference room that holds 25 people. And I was thinking, wow, that much space? (laughs) (laughs) A Python conference that can hold 25 people? Wow. Um, And and, uh, it was pretty interesting because the way that Guido got there was interesting. Um, NIST brought him over on a guest researcher, Programming, that's Michael McLay is the unsung hero in the entire history of Python for making that happen. And then there he met the people from CNRI, um, Barry and Roger, uh, who ultimately got Guido over to CNRI. So it's, it is something that, yeah, on the face of it, just a little meeting, but you look back and put it in its context and it turns out to be pretty important. Um, it it kind of caused the start of something called the community instead of Guido. Okay. And it gave us a list of things to try and work on and gave kind of a nice point of what was things like going into that and then what were things like coming out of that. Going into it, uh, in 1994, there was this category called scripting languages. Yeah. We don't use that term very much anymore, but... Uh, scripting languages were really looked down on. They were toys, you know, a little prototyping thing, and then the grown-ups will show up later and, and write it for realsies. And it was Perl, Tickle, and Python. And so we, going into that workshop in 1994, there was a lot of talking about how do we stack up against Perl and Tickle? Um, why would someone want to use Python instead of the others? There was discussion about uh, organizational kind of things um, like, the, you know, mailing list and news group and Guido was running that stuff and he needed to turn it over to other people. Um, discussions about what if Guido got hit by a bus was a discussion that kind of got started around that time frame. And so this workshop got started and some of the people still involved in the world of Python were there. And it's pretty interesting to think about. Um, you could fit the Python community in a 20-person room in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. It's a little bit bigger community now. A little bit bigger. And uh, when we talk about Tim Peters' famous quote, come for the – no, actually, it wasn't Tim who said it. Somebody else said it. Uh, come for the language, stay for the community. You ever yeah. heard that one? Yeah. Uh, in talking about it, at that, that keynote panel, Jim Fulton gave a really good statement on this that – Python is kind and human because Guido is kind and human. Yeah, so a lot of Guido's character uh, kind of yeah. went into the community. Yeah. I definitely love that about the community. It's just the notion that there's a community, actually. Yeah. I mean, before before I came to Python, I was mostly a C++ developer with, with you know, like the other stuff, Bash, Perl, TCL, except for I never, I never actually did TCL commercially, but I did it in college. Um but the uh, uh, I never really thought of a, of a Bash community or a, a C, even a C plus <laughs> plus community, even though we had interesting we had a handful yeah. of magazines. But it was uh, um, actually Doctor Dobbs, I think, was a a good oh, yeah. uh, a good magazine to get get a lot of the, uh, the hardcore developers a community. But um, but it sort of fell apart 
Anyway, interesting. How's that differ from now other than we're big now? Uh Good point. Um, coming out of 1994, uh, a sequence of workshops that were called Spam 1, Spam 2, Spam 3 at the time. Um, Jim hosted at Menlo Park Spam 2, and then he hosted Spam 3 at, uh, in Re- at USGS in Reston. Um, Is this a reference to the, the Spam, Spam, Spam uh, Money Python skit? Yep. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, Guido likes to talk about at that time when we had the Complain Python news group on Usenet news group in in NTP, uh, that people would show up despite it being Complang Python. In the first year, so many people would join thinking it was a Monty Python fan club. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be obvious enough. Um, but the the thing the forces that were at work in 94 95 96 kind of gave the prelude to the middle third of python's story uh at spam 2 in menlo park i at least i remember there were two guys from the stanford digital library project meaning google okay. and at that time it was written in python we also got a presentation about Sun's new set-top box programming language, which would be renamed Java a couple of months later. Okay, yeah. And then by the time Spam 3 came around, uh, Java was quite on the minds of Python people. Yeah, it got pretty big pretty fast. Yeah, by 1996, it was... The thing, everything on the web was uh, web applications were supposed to be written in. Huh. That part always completely baffled my mind because Java, Java isn't a terrible language. The model doesn't, to me, doesn't fit the web that much. But mm-hmm. but at the time, we also really didn't understand what the division of front end and back end should have been. Oh, totally, totally. And it also wasn't just wasn't just centered around web pages and websites. It, there was there was more uh, applications that were going to be uh, operating mostly in around the world instead of just on your computer. Mm-hmm. And I do remember like Microsoft saying, uh, you know, at some point you're going to have applications on your desktop and you won't know whether it's running on your computer or, or on the, on the cloud. I don't know if they used the word cloud at the time. Um, I, I was a skeptic. I'm like, I know exactly which ones are uh, on my computer. Those are the ones that run fast. <laughs> Anyway, did Java affect Python much? That's a good question. Um, and I, I'd have, is, is from a language and technical perspective, I'd have to defer to other people. Around that time is when Jython as a project started. Um, maybe in a peculiar way, it, uh, it helped Python maybe because Java didn't really fit into the model of a systems language, so to speak. If you came, if you looked at the world from a C and C++ perspective, it was higher level than those. And around the time of, I guess, once Java got entrenched, nobody started saying scripting languages anymore. Oh, okay. Because Java really wasn't a scripting language. No, not at all, yeah. But uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a systems language, so to speak. Yeah. 
a lot of companies even just now are doing the migration of uh, generally writing utility scripts in Python instead of in in like Bash or something like that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was certainly a time frame when when we did Zope. Uh, I think we were the first. It's either us or two others right around the same time, the first open source application server. Um, and uh, there just became in that space a tremendous pressure to do Java, even on Windows, uh, even IIS-based systems. Um, it was abnormal to do an a-, a web application in anything but Java. Really? In fact, the, the, the biggest quote, one of the two biggest competitors to us in 1998, ours, Digita or Digita, depending on how you pronounce it, was written in Tickle. They took on 30 million bucks and tried to port it to Java. Well, I mean, where wasn't PHP in there, the mix? That's a good point. I don't think people felt like they were using an application server when they when they were doing PHP. They were doing websites with some scripting. That universe grew up dramatically over the years, but in the 98 time frame, I think it was still not considered an application or an extension of a website. Okay. But it grew up dramatically because it had a pretty good idea of start low, finish high. Okay. Yeah, I guess um, I, I do remember that my introduction to the first time I was using PHP, it was just so that I wouldn't have to write the um, <laughs> the menu on every single web page. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very low, very low barrier to entry, and it was a scripting language. So it maybe it deserves a lion's share of the credit for demolishing the myth about scripting languages. I still faced that. So I started pushing for more use of Python all over, especially in the testing of instruments, starting around, gosh, uh, maybe... 2000 or around that time a lot of the pushback was it it wasn't a serious language it was a scripting language yeah yeah so yeah interesting i think it's cool be talking about this is because uh when i was introduced to you i just thought you were this guy from JetBrains uh that was going to help me figure out how to use uh how to use testing in pycharm and then i was blown away to see this this panel of you uh with everybody else and to learn this history that you you're kind of a big deal. You've been in the Python community for a very long time. Uh, so I'm honored to think of you as one of my friends. Well, thanks for saying that. Being, and this is not a humble brag, it is anyone at there at the time would confirm it. I brought them coffee. <laughs> they were the smart people. I think the only contribution I had, technical contribution I had at the workshop was something about embedding structure in doc strings that could be inferred later or something like that. Other than that, eh, <laughs> hire smart, don't be smart. Uh, okay. Um, anyway. But thank you for saying that. So do we have a, is this an interesting, interesting reminiscing or are there some, is there some lessons to be learned uh, in looking back, looking between 94 and now? Uh, That's a good point. It can, easily get into pure sentimentality. Um, and I, when I give these talks, I admit up front, you're not going to learn anything valuable, but you're going to laugh your ass off. It's just a thin excuse to tell a bunch of jokes. Um, and <laughs> I gave this talk in St. Petersburg about a month ago 
when I was over there at the office in Russia. And I was supposed to talk for 35 minutes and went on for two hours. Oh, wow. Um, everybody was talking to each other and it was, it was a nice, nice way to open, um, a discussion, but also a thought process. Uh, so there's sentimentality. There are lessons to be learned about community at the risk of broaching into modern times and the tenor of our national discussion. We should all value the thing we have and understand the value so that we can preserve it. Yeah. Python is unique and wonderful in ways beyond the syntax. The people of Python are unique and wonderful. And uh, knowing a little bit about how we got here uh, can be useful. Yeah. In a lot of life, there's not so much teamwork. There's um, people mm -hmm. that work together but compete with each other also. And, of course, there are competing ideas. But I don't think – and sometimes there's money at stake – but mm -hmm. for the most part, I think the Python community is better than the world average at thinking about the technology and uh, trying to make everybody's life better and working together as a team and building on each other's ideas and not getting hurt if uh, your idea builds into something else and your name falls off the credits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just about bringing us a little bit farther and not putting too much ego into it. Yeah, this is pretty sentimental and sappy, but yeah, community is more important than uh, almost everything else. Yeah, back in the days when I was working on Plone, I used to say Plone isn't software, Plone is democracy. Because I felt like the community was more more valuable than the software. Software changes, it gets better, it gets worse, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, like we see that uh, uh, right now a lot in... Um, I get a view of that with doing Python Bytes with Michael because we're paying attention to what's going on and people right. are trying... And there's there's um, these ace flask like frameworks that are async, mm -hmm. and um, there's a ton of them running around, and and it's not it's not a bad thing. People are trying taking ideas from other people, building on it, trying it out, and seeing what sticks. And that's a that's a cool thing. And it, and then there's there's spaces all over the place. Uh, like um, I'm for instance, I'm a, definitely a pytest proponent. But um, a lot of people possibly don't realize that I don't have a lot against unit tests. It's a strong, uh, it's a strong testing framework, and I think that more effort should be going into uh, building it, keeping it uh, modern, and maybe continuing the the development of it. Um, uh, I think there's there's always place for choice. So um, we are. This was a really fun conversation, and I'm I'm glad to have you on. And I would like to just call this part one and have you on again, and we can uh, switch over and talk about this whole testing in Python versus JavaScript and some of the uh, differences and similarities. Uh, hopefully you have information on that because I don't. Uh, so, Yeah, I started taking some notes on some things to talk about from kind of a, looking at it from a PyTest perspective. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's horrific, but there's also a lot of innovation happening uh, that is interesting to look at that we can learn from. There's innovation in the JavaScript world that we can yeah. learn from? Okay, yeah. cool. Well, uh, we will try to get that scheduled here pretty soon then. And, All right. 
thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this show. It's uh, wonderful that the world of Python has gotten mature enough to the point that we've got very high quality, reliable, regular episode podcasts on important parts of the community and the ecosystem. Um, thanks for doing it. Oh, you're welcome. The community is is a big part of that. People from around the world contacting me and saying that this particular episode is just what I needed to hear just now. So thank you. Ah, yes, that's ideal. It's pretty cool. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Claim your $100 credit at do.co slash testandcode. Not only does that let you try their amazing service, but it also tells them that sponsoring this show is a good thing. That link is also on the show notes page at testandcode.com slash 54. Thank you to Paul for taking the time to record this episode. And thank you. Thank you for listening, for sharing the show with friends and colleagues, for supporting the show through Patreon, and for using the link in the show notes to try out DigitalOcean. That's all for now. Now go test something. <laughs>